Section 12 of An Essay Concerning Human Understanding, Book 3 of Words by John Locke. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Matthew D. Robinson. Chapter 10 of The Abuse of Words, Part 1. 1. Woeful Abuse of Words. Besides the imperfection that is naturally in language, and the obscurity and confusion that is so hard to be avoided in the use of words, there are several willful faults and neglects which men are guilty of in this way of communication, whereby they render these signs less clear and distinct in their signification than naturally they need to be. 2. First, words are often employed without any or without clear ideas. First, in this kind, the first and most palpable abuse is the using of words without clear and distinct ideas, or, which is worse, signs without anything signified. Of these there are two sorts. 1. Some words introduced without clear ideas annexed to them, even in their first original. One may observe in all languages certain words that, if they be examined, will be found in their first original and their appropriated use, not to stand for any clear and distinct ideas. These, for the most part, the several sects of philosophy and religion have introduced. For their authors or promoters, either affecting something singular and out of the way of common apprehensions, or to support some strange opinions or cover some weakness of their hypothesis, seldom fail to coin new words, and such as, when they come to be examined, may justly be called insignificant terms. For having either had no determinate collection of ideas annexed to them when they were first invented, or at least such as, if well examined, will be found inconsistent, it is no wonder if, afterwards, in the vulgar use of the same party, they remain empty sounds with little or no signification amongst those who think it enough to have them often in their mouths as the distinguishing characters of their church or school, without much troubling their heads to examine what are the precise ideas they stand for. I shall not need here to heap up instances. Every man's reading and conversation will sufficiently furnish him. Or, if he wants to be better stored, the great mint-masters of this kind of terms, I mean the schoolmen and metaphysicians, under which I think the disputing natural and moral philosophers of these latter ages may be comprehended, have wherewithal abundantly to content him. 3. 2. Other words to which ideas were annexed at first, used afterwards without distinct meanings. Others there be who extend this abuse yet further, who take so little care to lay by words which, in their primary notation have scarce any clear and distinct ideas which they are annexed to, that by an unpardonable negligence 
They familiarly use words which the propriety of language has affixed to very important ideas without any distinct meaning at all. Wisdom, glory, grace, etc., are words frequent enough in every man's mouth, but if a great many of those who use them should be asked what they mean by them, they would be at a stand and not know what to answer, a plain proof that, though they have learned those sounds and have them ready at their tongue's ends, yet there are no determined ideas laid up in their minds which are to be expressed to others by them. 4. This occasioned by men learning names before they have the ideas the names belong to. Men having been accustomed from their cradles to learn words which are easily got and retained, before they knew or had framed the complex ideas to which they were annexed, or which were to be found in the things they were thought to stand for, they usually continue to do so all their lives, and without taking the pains necessary to settle in their minds determined ideas, they use their words for such unsteady and confused notions as they have, contenting themselves with the same words other people use, as if their very sound necessarily carried with it constantly the same meaning. This, though men make a shift within the ordinary occurrences of life, where they find it necessary to be understood, and therefore make signs till they are so, yet this insignificancy in their words, which they come to reason concerning either their tenets or interest, manifestly fills their discourse with abundance of empty, unintelligible noise and jargon, especially in moral matters, where the words for the most part standing for arbitrary and numerous collections of ideas, not regularly and permanently united in nature, their bare sounds are often only thought on, or at least very obscure and uncertain notions annexed to them. Men take the words they find in use amongst their neighbors, and that they may not seem ignorant what they stand for, use them confidently, without much troubling their heads about a certain fixed meaning, whereby besides the ease of it they obtain this advantage that as in such discourses they seldom are in the right so they are as seldom to be convinced that they are in the wrong it being all one to go about to draw those men out of their mistakes who have no settled notions as to dispossess a vagrant of his habitation who has no settled abode this i guess to be so and every one may observe in himself and others whether it be so or not 5. Secondly, unsteady application of them. Secondly, another great abuse of words is inconstancy in the use of them. It is hard to find a discourse written on any subject, especially of controversy, wherein one shall not observe, if he read with attention, the same words and those commonly the most material in the discourse, and upon which the argument turns, used sometimes for one collection of simple ideas and sometimes for another, which is a perfect abuse of language. Words being intended for signs of my ideas, to make them known to others, not by any natural signification, but by a voluntary imposition, 
It is plain cheat and abuse when I make them stand sometimes for one thing and sometimes for another. The willful doing whereof can be imputed to nothing but great folly, or greater dishonesty. And a man and his accounts with another may with as much fairness make the characters of numbers stand sometimes for one and sometimes for another collection of units. V.G. this character three stands sometimes for three, sometimes for four, and sometimes for eight, as in his discourse or reasoning make the same words stand for different collections of simple ideas. If men should do so in their reckonings, I wonder who would have to do with them. One who would speak thus in the affairs and business of the world, and call eight sometimes seven and sometimes nine, as best served his advantage, would presently have clapped upon him one of the two names men are commonly disgusted with. And yet in arguings and learned contests the same sort of proceedings passes commonly for wit and learning. But to me it appears a greater dishonesty than the misplacing of counters in the casting up a debt, and the cheat the greater by how much truth is of greater concernment and value than money. 6. Thirdly, affected obscurity, as in the peripatetic and other sects of philosophy. Thirdly, another abuse of language is an affected obscurity, by either applying old words to new and unusual significations, or introducing new and ambiguous terms without defining either, or else putting them so together as may confound their ordinary meaning. Though the peripatetic philosophy has been most eminent in this way, yet other sects have not been wholly clear of it. There are scarce any of them that are not cumbered with some difficulties, such as the imperfection of human knowledge, which they have been fain to cover with obscurity of terms, and to confound the signification of words which, like a mist before people's eyes, might hinder their weak parts from being discovered. That body and extension in common use stand for two distinct ideas, is plain to any one that will but reflect a little. For were their signification precisely the same, it would be as proper and as intelligible to say the body of an extension as the extension of a body, and yet there are those who find it necessary to confound their signification. To this abuse and the mischiefs of confounding the signification of words, logic, and the liberal sciences as they have been handled in the schools, have given reputation, and the admired art of disputing hath added much to the natural imperfection of languages, whilst it has been made use of and fitted to perplex the signification of words, more than to discover the knowledge and truth of things and he that will look into that sort of learned writings will find the words there much more obscure, uncertain, and undetermined in their meaning than they are in ordinary conversation. 7. Logic and dispute have much contributed to this. This is unavoidably to be so, where men's parts and learning are estimated by their skill in disputing, and if reputation and reward shall attend these conquests, which depend mostly on the fineness and niceties of words, 
it is no wonder if the wit of man so employed should perplex involve and subtilize the signification of sounds so as never to want something to say in opposing or defending any question the victory being a judge not to him who had truth on his side but the last word in the dispute eight calling it subtlety this though a very useless skill and that which i think the direct opposite to the ways of knowledge hath yet passed hitherto under the laudable and esteemed names of subtlety and acuteness and has had the applause of the schools and encouragement of one part of the learned men of the world and no wonder since the philosophers of old the disputing and wrangling philosophers i mean such as lucian wittily and with reason taxes and the schoolmen since aiming at glory and esteem for their great and universal knowledge easier a great deal to be pretended to than really acquired found this a good expedient to cover their ignorance with a curious and inexplicable web of perplexed words and procure to themselves the admiration of others by unintelligible terms the apter to produce wonder because they could not be understood whilst it appears in all history that these profound doctors were no wiser nor more useful than their neighbours and brought but small advantage to human life or the societies wherein they lived unless the coining of new words where they produced no new things to apply them to or the perplexing or obscuring the signification of old ones and so bringing all things into question and dispute were a thing profitable to the life of man or worthy commendation and reward nine this learning very little benefits society for notwithstanding these learned disputants these all-knowing doctors it was to the unscholastic statesmen that the governments of the world owed their peace defence and liberties and from the illiterate and contemned mechanic a name of disgrace that they received the improvements of useful arts nevertheless this artificial ignorance and learned gibberish prevailed mightily in these last ages by the interest and artifice of those who found no easier way to that pitch of authority and dominion they have attained than by amusing the men of business and ignorant with hard words or employing the ingenious and idle in intricate disputes about unintelligible terms and holding them perpetually entangled in that endless labyrinth besides there is no such way to gain admittance or give defence to strange and absurd doctrines as to guard them round about with legions of obscure doubtful and undefined words which yet make these retreats more like the dens of robbers or holes of foxes than the fortresses of fair warriors which if it be hard to get them out of it is not for the strength that is in them but the briars and thorns and the obscurity of the thickets they are beset with for untruth being unacceptable to the mind of man there is no other defence left for absurdity but obscurity ten but destroys the instruments of knowledge and communication thus learned ignorance and this art of keeping even inquisitive men from true knowledge hath been propagated in the world and hath much perplexed 
whilst it pretended to inform the understanding. For we see that other well-meaning and wise men, whose education and parts had not acquired that acuteness, could intelligibly express themselves to one another, and in its plain use make a benefit of language. But though unlearned men well enough understood the words white and black, etc., and had constant notions of the ideas signified by those words, yet there were philosophers found who had learning and subtlety enough to prove that snow was black, i.e. to prove that white was black, whereby they had the advantage to destroy the instruments and means of discourse, conversation, instruction, and society, whilst with great art and subtlety they did no more but perplex and confound the signification of words, and thereby render language less useful than the real defects of it had made it, a gift which the illiterate had not attained to. 11. As useful as to confound the sound that the letters of the alphabet stand for. These learned men did equally instruct men's understandings and profit their lives, as he who should alter the signification of known characters, and, by a subtle device of learning, far surpassing the capacity of the illiterate, dull, and vulgar, should in his writings show that he could put A for B and D for E, etc., to the no small admiration and benefit of for his reader, it being as senseless to put black, which is a word agreed on to stand for one sensible idea, to put it, I say, for another or the contrary idea, i.e. to call snow black, as to put this mark A, which is a character agreed on to stand for one modification of sound, made by a certain motion of the organs of speech, for B, which is agreed on to stand for another modification of sound, made by another certain mode of the organs of speech. 12. This art has perplexed religion and justice. Nor hath this mischief stopped in logical niceties or curious empty speculations. It hath invaded the great concernments of human life and society, obscured and perplexed the material truths of law and divinity, brought confusion, disorder, and uncertainty into the affairs of mankind, and if not destroyed, yet in a great measure rendered useless, these two great rules, religion and justice. What have the greatest part of the comments and disputes upon the laws of God and man served for, but to make the meaning more doubtful and perplex the sense? What have been the effect of those multiplied curious distinctions and acute niceties, but obscurity and uncertainty, leaving the words more unintelligible and the reader more at a loss? How else comes it to pass that princes speaking or writing to their servants in their ordinary commands are easily understood, speaking to their people in their laws are not so? And, as I remarked before, doth it not often happen that a man of an ordinary capacity very well understands a text or a law that he reads, till he consults an expositor or goes to counsel, who by that time he hath done explaining them, makes the words signify either nothing at all or what he pleases. 13. And ought not to pass for learning. 
whether any by-interests of these professions have occasioned this i will not here examine but i leave it to be considered whether it would not be well for mankind whose concernment it is to know things as they are and to do what they ought and not to spend their lives in talking about them or tossing words to and fro whether it would not be well i say that the use of words were made plain and direct and that language which was given us for the improvement of knowledge and bond of society should not be employed to darken truth and unsettle people's rights to raise mists and render unintelligible both morality and religion or that at least if this will happen it should not be thought learning or knowledge to do so fourteen four fourthly by taking words for things fourthly another great abuse of words is the taking them for things this though it in some degree concerns all names in general yet more particularly affects those of substances to this abuse those men are most subject who most confine their thoughts to any one system and give themselves up into a firm belief of the perfection of any received hypothesis whereby they come to be persuaded that the terms of that sect are so suited to the nature of things that they perfectly correspond with their real existence who is there that has been bred up in the peripatetic philosophy who does not think the ten names under which are ranked the ten predicaments to be exactly conformable to the nature of things who is there of that school that is not persuaded that substantial forms vegetative souls abhorrence of a vacuum intentional species etc are something real these words men have learned from their very entrance upon knowledge and have found their masters and systems lay great stress upon them and therefore they cannot quit the opinion that they are conformable to nature and are the representations of something that really exists the platonists have their soul of the world and the epicureans their endeavor towards motion in their atoms when at rest there is scarce any sect in philosophy has not a distinct set of terms that others understand not but yet this gibberish which in the weakness of human understanding serves so well to palliate men's ignorance and cover their errors comes by familiar use amongst those of the same tribe to seem the most important part of language and of all other the terms the most significant and should aerial and ethereal vehicles come once by the prevalency of that doctrine to be generally received anywhere no doubt those terms would make impressions on men's minds so as to establish them in the persuasion of the reality of such things as much as peripatetic forms and intentional species have heretofore done fifteen instance in matter how much names taken for things are apt to mislead the understanding the attentive reading of philosophical writers would abundantly discover and that perhaps in words little suspected of any such misuse i shall instance in one only and that a very familiar one how many intricate disputes have there been about matter as if there were some such thing really in nature distinct from body 
as it is evident the word matter stands for an idea distinct from the idea of body for if the ideas these two terms stood for were precisely the same they might indifferently in all places be put for one another but we see that though it be proper to say there is one matter of all bodies one cannot say there is one body of all matters we familiarly say one body is bigger than another but it sounds harsh and i think is never used to say one matter is bigger than another whence comes this then videlicet from hence that though matter and body be not really distinct but wherever there is the one there is the other yet matter and body stand for two different conceptions whereof the one is incomplete and but a part of the other for body stands for a solid extended figured substance whereof matter is but a partial and more confused conception it seeming to me to be used for the substance and solidity of body without taking in its extension and figure and therefore it is that speaking of matter we speak of it always as one because in truth it expressly contains nothing but the idea of a solid substance which is everywhere the same everywhere uniform this being our idea of matter we no more conceive or speak of different matters in the world than we do of different solidities though we both conceive and speak of different bodies because extension and figure are capable of variation but since solidity cannot exist without extension and figure the taking matter to be the name of something really existing under that precision has no doubt produced those obscure and unintelligible discourses and disputes which have filled the heads and books of philosophers concerning materia prima which imperfection or abuse how far it may concern a great many other general terms i leave to be considered this i think i may at least say that we should have a great many fewer disputes in the world if words were taken for what they are the signs of our ideas only and not for things themselves for when we argue about matter or any the like term we truly argue only about the idea we express by that sound whether that precise idea agree to anything really existing in nature or no and if men would tell what ideas they make their words stand for there could not be half that obscurity or wrangling in the search or support of truth that there is sixteen this makes errors lasting but whatever inconvenience follows from this mistake of words this i am sure that by constant and familiar use they charm men into notions far remote from the truth of things it would be a hard matter to persuade any one that the words which his father or schoolmaster the parson of the parish or such a reverend doctor used signified nothing that really existed in nature which perhaps is none of the least causes that men are so hardly drawn to quit their mistakes even in opinions purely philosophical and where they have no other interest but truth for the words they have a long time been used to remaining firm in their minds it is no wonder that the wrong notions annexed to them should not be removed seventeen fifthly 
by setting them in the place of what they cannot signify. 5. Fifthly, another abuse of words is the setting them in the place of things which they do or can by no means signify. We may observe that in the general names of substances, whereof the nominal essences are only known to us, when we put them into propositions and affirm or deny anything about them, we do most commonly tacitly suppose or intend they should stand for the real essence of a certain sort of substances. For when a man says gold is malleable, he means and would insinuate something more than this, that what I call gold is malleable, though truly it amounts to no more, but would have this understood, videlicate, that gold, i.e. what has the real essence of gold, is malleable, which amounts to thus much that malleableness depends on and is inseparable from the real essence of gold. But a man, not knowing wherein that real essence consists, the connection in his mind of malleableness is not truly with an essence he knows not, but only with the sound gold he puts for it. Thus when we say that animal rationale is and animal influme bipes latis unguibus is not a good definition of a man, it is plain we suppose the name man in this case to stand for the real essence of a species, and would signify that a rational animal better described that real essence than a two-legged animal with broad nails and without feathers. For else why might not Plato as properly make the word, word in Greek, or man, stand for his complex idea, made up of the idea of a body distinguished from others by a certain shape and other outward appearances, as Aristotle make the complex idea to which he gave the name, word in Greek, or man, of body and the faculty of reasoning joined together, unless the name, word in Greek, or man, were supposed to stand for something else than what it signifies, and to be put in the place of some other thing than the idea a man professes he would express by it. End of section 12